starts we're going to have a quick word from our sponsor we've partnered with coinbeast media to bring you guys top quality educational bitcoin content they have bitcoiners who are experts in certain areas of bitcoin called pros who will be presenting on our show over the course of the next couple months so make sure you guys tune in every single wednesday to make sure you don't miss them you can also connect with their pros one-on-one to get a personalized lesson in a certain area of Bitcoin to help walk you through any and all of your questions. They also have wonderfully written articles on their website that are jam-packed full of information. So make sure to check out their website at coinbeast.com. Their vision is very in line with ours. So we're beyond excited to be collaborating with them to bring all of you guys good quality Bitcoin content. So without further ado, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, class? This is Optimus Fields at My Living Truth, and we're back for another episode. We're at block height 678,252, and the current <coughs> price is 56,393. Tonight we got Nick presenting an article he wrote, so Nick, take it away. Yeah, what's up, everyone? Uh, so I wrote this article for Bitcoin Magazine called bitcoin's hierarchy of needs i got the idea for this when i was it was actually a few months ago when i was at home at my parents house uh visiting them for christmas and i was throwing out some old stuff that i had in my room and i came across my physics folder from a I mean, my physics notebook from freshman year of college, and I was scrolling through it, like just thinking of article ideas that I could like try and be creative and um, link to Bitcoin. And I saw Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the title Bitcoin's hierarchy of needs just sounded really dope to me. I thought it'd be a creative idea to write about it. So I, I wrote up a rough draft about it. I didn't really like it. So I just kind of kept it in my Google Docs and moved on. And then one night I was uh, talking with Nick Carter and we were kind of going back and forth about uh, writing and, you know, what I should be doing better, like what I should be doing more, what I should be doing less. And it just kind of inspired me more to like pick up something and write, you know, something high quality. And I really liked this idea and didn't want to give up on it. So I went back, kind of redid it. I I talked with Matt O'Dell a lot on it. Shout out to Matt O'Dell because he helped me with this, like structuring it and editing it. Um, And we came up with a hierarchy of needs for Bitcoin. So scrolling on down, I talk about how Bitcoin's hierarchy of needs, it's a riff off Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The idea that people have to go through certain levels of life and complete those levels in order to reach happiness and live to their full potential. And I kind of, I really liked that because I saw how it lined up with Bitcoin and I wanted to um, explain Bitcoin in a way using this uh, graph that's super easy to follow. So scrolling on down, here is the hierarchy of needs that I made in Google, uh, not Google, uh, Photoshop. 
it goes all the way on the right. You see the bottom two are the network needs. These are the needs that are absolutely must have as a base layer foundation. And then after that, we can move on to the monetary needs. And at the base layer, we have fair launch, which includes no pre-mine and proof of work distribution. We have above that distributed network, miners, nodes, and devs. And I go into detail on all three. And then that's it for network needs. Once we have the network needs, we can go up to the monetary needs. So now we have that fundamental um, foundation there. We can uh, see Bitcoin become a store of value, a means of exchange. And then finally, it reaches its full potential and becomes a unit of account. So this is the theme for tonight's show. We're going to be going through all five of these just real quick. It's going to be nice and quick. Um, going to have a lot of good information, so I hope you're ready for it. So scrolling down, we're going to talk about um, the FAIR launch. No Bitcoin or cryptocurrency in general has a shot at mass adoption and being the global reserve currency, if it was cheated from the start, like there, there's just no way that could ever happen. So one of the many things that separates Bitcoin from the thousands of other cryptocurrencies was the fair launch on January 3rd, 2009. So when Bitcoin was created, it was a direct result of the 2008-2009 uh, financial crash. The And the... Uh, and the horrors of uh, fiat currency and central banking, it was made as a solution to an actual problem. All other coins after that just kind of saw Bitcoin success, tried to copy it and failed. So Satoshi didn't create Bitcoin in hopes of scamming others. He did it to provide anyone an inclusive monetary system that was fair. There was no pre-mine where any founder allocated a large portion of the coins to themselves, kind of like Vitalik did with Ethereum. It's like a 70% pre-mined scam. So, so yeah, Satoshi made this without the, uh, the thought of his own personal gain or anyone else's personal gain. It's all for the group of, it's all for the users who use Bitcoin, they're the ones who gain from it, not just one single individual. So what's a way that this was fairly launched? Well, Satoshi programmed the first block to be locked in, resulting in the first block reward of 50 BTC being unattainable. And this happened because like, when you start the Bitcoin blockchain, the way it works is it, it builds off the previous block. So since it builds off the previous block, there was no first block in there to build off of. So he had to, you know, find a way to get that first block already programmed in there. So he could have done a pre-mine and took the coins for himself. And even if he did that and, you know, distributed it somewhere, like it still would have been so somewhat scammy. So what he did is just program the block um, to be completely frozen. No one can get those 50 BTC. And now those are 50 Bitcoin out of the 21 million that are just unattainable right so after that the bitcoin blockchain could start uh cash you know the miners could start hashing away and building the chain um minting new currency onto the blockchain it must be fair with not with no one single entity having an advantage over others this system needs to be inclusive <coughs> 
where anyone has the ability to run the numbers and verify for themselves that everything is correct. Honest participants are rewarded and bad actors face consequences. Whatever system is used to create more currency must absolutely come at a cost to protect against any monopolies arising from gaming the system. This is absolutely needed, and Bitcoin solved this with distributed proof of work. So that's the first layer, fair launch, no pre-mine, proof of work distribution completed. So now that we've gone through this layer, we can move on to the next layer, which is distributed network. So as I said here, since Bitcoin was fairly launched with no malicious intent, we can be confident in building and expanding the network. But if Bitcoin is really going to succeed, then it cannot be centralized like gold, fiat, and altcoins. Bitcoin is robust because of two reasons. One, the creator vanished a long time ago, never to be seen again. There is no central authority to arrest or have them use their influence to destroy the project. A lot of like, for example, Vitalik with Ethereum. I remember last bull market, or it was, you know, it was a couple years ago. There was a rumor that started about Vitalik had died <laughs> and Ethereum plummeted, absolutely plummeted until people, until Vitalik like wrote on a card and took a picture of himself saying, you know, I'm not dead. Here's the date. Here's the time. And people actually believed he wasn't dead, that the price, you know, started to go back up. Like Bitcoin cannot have a face to the coin it can't have a leader right it has to be um you know the users who control it no one single authority so that can destroy the project but number two is the global distribution of the developers economic nodes and miners these are the three sets of stakeholders that provide a check and balance against each other to make sure no one single party has control i really like this analogy Dur Gigi made in a in a podcast I was listening to, and he was talking about how Bitcoin is like ants. Ants are super small, super tiny, super decentralized. If you go outside and you step on an ant hill, you know, right outside your home, you might kill those ants, but you'll never be able to step on all the ants in the world because there's they're massive numbers and distribution. It's impossible for you to kill all the ants in the world. And that's like what Bitcoin is. It's globally decentralized and distributed. So Bitcoin developers are the ones who work day and night to advance Bitcoin forward. These developers must build things that are in demand by the users or else no one will use their software, right? The, the developers, they work for us. They develop whatever we want, right? So it is not in the developer's best interest to attack the network because everything is out in the open. There's no way to sneakily attack Bitcoin because of how long the process takes. And if a developer does try to attack Bitcoin, their reputation is done. Everyone knows uh, how serious the hornets are and the plebs are. If you, you make one false move, your reputation goes out the window and you know we move on to bigger and better things, right? So... Uh, developers' proposals to change the network are intensely reviewed by other devs during the process of submitting Bitcoin improvement proposals called BIPs. Anyone in the world be can become a D Bitcoin developer. 
and the developers are spread globally all around the world. You can't just implement something into Bitcoin, you know, in, in a few minutes or a few hours or a few days. Like it, the process is very slow and takes very long. And that's very good because we, if you're going to, if we're going to be building a global financial system, we can't, you know, be doing things like what Ethereum does and just like launching random updates and stuff and just completely crash the network. Like we need to take the slow and we need to do it right. And this also protects against any attackers trying to um, be malicious to the system. So also about the miners. So neither the miners or the nodes have complete control over the network. The miners slowly write transactions into the ledger and mint new currency. While nodes verify the transactions on the blockchain quickly and efficiently, but they can't issue new currency. The miners have to follow the rules that the nodes set forth, which may only change if individual node operators choose to run new software. I kind of think of them as like yin and yang. They go really well together and they balance each other out. So that's just a good way to think about miners and nodes. Um, network participants we must prioritize keeping Bitcoin decentralized. The more distributed it is, the more censorship resistant it is, <coughs> the better it can defend itself from nation state attacks and others trying to control the network. Earlier this year, in January, the amount of full nodes hit an all-time high of 11,558 according to bitnodes.io. So, guys... It's growing, you know, the, the nodes are growing. It's, it's beautiful to see. And uh, one thing I wanted to add in is whoever's uh, thinking, oh, Bitcoin will fail because governments can 51% attack the blockchain. Um, this is a great video by Andreas Antonopoulos. I know he's a shit coiner now, and I, I, I was kind of iffy on putting him in this, but this video is fantastic. Um, do you guys want to watch this video or? Yeah, yeah, play it. Play it for the audio people. Just, uh, just a quick follow up on that. Um, do you have any concerns about a large nation state that has um, interest in just actively destroying Bitcoin to make their own, you know, super rigs and uh, design chips and just throw hundreds of millions or billions of dollars to intentionally disrupt the blockchain. Yeah, I, I don't worry about that at all. Um, this cannot be done with Bitcoin anymore. This is something that can only be done with nascent altcoins. Uh, Bitcoin has achieved a, a level of computing that uh, no single nation state can, uh, can overthrow it through computation alone. Uh, the effort to do so would require a massive covert operation of chip fabrication, uh, then the coordinated assault that would give them dominance over the next block for 10 minutes until we kick those bastards off the network, uh, rework the protocol around them, they would be revealed, they would have lost a billion dollars doing this, and all they got to do was one double spend. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Long before we get to that point, they figure out that if they just let this stuff run, they can actually get some Bitcoin <laughs> as a reward, because the incentive structure actually works. And so I'm not worried about that. And a lot of people are watching the blockchain. And as I said before, what are they going to do? So they take over, and they fork the blockchain, and they go, 
somewhere, right? They've created an alternative blockchain. Great. What are we going to do? Who's going to join the NSA blockchain? <laughs> Anybody want to jump on Fedcoin? <laughs> so we're all going to stay on the old fork. Difficulty will go down. It will get more profitable for the miners who stayed behind, and we'll carry on with our coin, and they can go mine whatever the hell they want on their alternative blockchain. They achieve nothing. They can't make protocol changes because, we, as I said, five constituencies in consensus, and it would take a billion dollars to pull the most ridiculous Keystone Cops failure in history. <laughs> Plus, this would actually require government that can do IT. <laughs> So I think that was a great video, and he explained it really, really well. So with that being said, that is the end of the distributed network part. So now we have the network needs out of the way. Bitcoin was fairly launched. It's not a scam, no pre-mine or anything. After that, we see the distributed network. We know Bitcoin's decentralized. We know it's secure. We know no one can mess with it. No one can game it. No one can, you know, do anything malicious to it. This is a very solid foundation that is absolutely needed that no other cryptocurrency has. Now that we have this in place, we can actually move to the monetary aspects of Bitcoin, which is like the most, you know, thought of aspect of Bitcoin, in my opinion, like people, you know, Bitcoin's sound money. So people automatically think of these three, but these two needed to be in place first. So going to store of value. Ooh, we're going to get a little bullish here. So Bitcoin is currently thriving in this aspect. After recently reaching a total market cap of over $1 trillion, with trillions more poised to enter the market. Today, the world has a store of value crisis. There is about 80 trillion in cash around the world just sitting there waiting to be put into an actual store of value. There is about 100 trillion globally in stocks that are owned by people who would most likely rather save it in Bitcoin, you know, a non-risk asset, than take on risk of investing, especially when a lot of people don't know what, they do, what they're doing when they're investing in stocks. There's over $281 trillion in real estate. But this has many flaws, such as it's easy to tax, it's not portable, and it's not liquid. And it's very expensive to maintain. Gold has approximately $11 trillion market cap. And all it is is a shiny rock. I'm sure you've seen on Twitter a bunch of gold bugs coming out lately, changing you know, their thought process. Because I don't want gold bugs to go broke, except Peter Schiff. Um, because their underlying thesis is correct, you know, Austrian economics and separation of money and state and stuff, but they're using the wrong tool to act out their ideology and they're getting crushed for it. So as they realize that more, the gold bugs are just going to flow into Bitcoin. So, and also about $253 trillion exists in global debt. 
That's pretty, pretty, pretty bad. In my opinion, Bitcoin is eating up all of this, and it's just going to continue eating up most, if not all of this. And here we have a little chart showing how um, Bitcoin is great at liquidity, portability, secure, utility, and scarcity, and many of its other competitors, such as gold, collectible art, government bonds, cars, collectibles, and real estate, all have flaws in certain areas, even though they may succeed in some other areas. They don't compete with Bitcoin because Bitcoin embraces all of these uh, characteristics very, very well, and none of these other do. It makes it the superior store of value. So, yeah, just going a little bit more into it, uh, Bitcoin embraces all the qualities that, that good money typically has. Durability, portability, divisibility, uniformity, scarcity, acceptability, and verifiability. And this is really good, but what makes it really dominant is that it's the most liquid money and it has a mass powerful network effects. So that is what really pushes it over the edge. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of retail investors throughout Bitcoin since 2009 use it as a savings technology, but this year really huge on institutions, you know, MicroStrategy bought 0.1% last summer, and ever since then, they've bought a lot, lot more. Um, we've seen Mass Mutual buy $100 million worth of Bitcoin, Marathon Patent Group buy $150 million, Tesla buy $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. There's a, lot of big, there's a lot of institutions that are rumored to be gobbling up more Bitcoin who haven't announced it yet, and you just know they are. There's no way they're not. The game theory's kicked in, and they have to start accumulating Bitcoin if they want to keep up with their competitors. So this is really good for Bitcoin. Um, every single person in the world needs to be able to store their wealth in something that won't leak monetary energy over time. People in developed countries are forced to invest their fiat earnings into investments in hopes to keep slash increase their purchasing power. But people in developing countries don't have that privilege and are forced to store their wealth in USD to escape their faster collapsing home national currency. So Bitcoin, it makes savings, po it makes savings possible again. People can actually store their wealth and let it grow without the risk of devaluation over time via inflation. The 21 million hard cap with growing user adoption cements this. And now everyone can correctly build and allocate wealth to improve their quality of life. And this is a chart of Bitcoin, the all-time chart from a, this screenshot was took at the time of writing. As you can see, number go up works perfectly these drops in price these little bear markets are only temporary and over time number go up right so scrolling down now since bitcoin and after bitcoin finishes being a store of value and it has sucked in trillions upon trillions of dollars the next level for bitcoin to conquer what it to become convenient enough to use and pay for goods and services in your everyday life, right? I know people talk a lot about a circular economy and spending Bitcoin, and that's not really popular right now because, you know, it's like 
why on earth would you spend your Bitcoin right now when it's going to go up so much in value? And yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm not spending Bitcoin right now because it's in it's in price discovery. You know, we're we're seeing Bitcoin go through its uh, transformation as a store of value, and it's not ready to be a medium of exchange yet. So, in in my opinion, and so it's important to realize that the Bitcoin blockchain should be considered a settlement layer rather than a payment layer itself, right? So don't be listening to Roger Ver when he says, oh, you can't pay for it in coffee, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're, we're going to cover this in a minute more and, and why he's wrong. So Bitcoin's main layer in comparison to the leg- legacy financial system is a huge improvement. Transactions involving fiat outside of cash, you know, just handing someone cash are unacceptably slow. ACH transfers take about two to three days. Checks, debit cards, and credit cards take about 30 seconds to clear. And you got, I was talking to Robert Breedlove about this, but like, you got to remember when transacting in fiat, final settlement cannot even be performed since it's always exposed to the counterparty risk of the issuer, right? So sending large amounts of Bitcoin for it to reach final settlement in 30 minutes or less is a huge upgrade in comparison to that. But how, since I said, oh, you know, the Bitcoin blockchain should be considered a settlement layer instead of a payment layer, we can scale on top of Bitcoin through the use of additional payment layers since it's an open source protocol. We can build solutions on top of it. A, a similar solu- comparison can be made to the base layer of the legacy financial system which if you didn't know, couldn't scale globally. So they had to add layers on top of it, such as Square, Visa, and MasterCard to help facilitate transactions. This made the network scalable and quick for cheap transactions. And a similar idea has been brought to Bitcoin with the Lightning Network. This is a really good quote from uh, Michael Saylor. He, he was talking with, um, I believe it was Preston Pish, if I'm correct. Um, And he says, the point is seven transactions a second is fine because what it's going to be is it's going to be square cash, meaning like on, you know, square uh, cash app. That's what he's, when he says square cash, he means cash app. Moving 182 million worth of Bitcoin once per day. And they're going to do that settlement and they're going to provide 37 million people with a square cash account. And they're going to do 187 million transactions a day on their network. They're like a second level solution. They're going to do 180 million transactions a day for 37 million people and settle it with one transaction against the blockchain. And it's going to scale just fine. Bitcoin wins, Square wins, the customers win. And if you don't know what Lightning Network is, this is just a little simple graphic of it. This is the main chain of Bitcoin right here. You open up a channel, you and someone else, and this is off-chain. You can do unlimited, fast, super quick, cheap transactions and then settle it back on the main chain. Super nice, super convenient, and it's going to help Bitcoin scale. A really good analogy for this is also when Sailor was talking about in a podcast he did with Robert Breedlove, uh, George Lucas's superhero stories. 
um, how a superhero can have many exciting powers, such as shooting lasers out of their eyes, flying, teleporting, super speed, and more. But they all have one downfall, and they're easy to kill. Now imagine a superhero that has no fancy powers, like lasers or teleporting, but it's unkillable. It's, you know, seen as slow and boring, you know, nothing flashy. That unkillable superhero could pick up a gun and just kill all the fancy, fancy superheroes with, while defending off attacks with ease. The unkillable superhero that can pick up new weapons resembles Bitcoin, Right? slow and boring as it's seen nothing flashy but it's unkillable but when added onto it like a machine gun it's a it's fucking deadly and the flashy superheroes that die super easily resembles all coins all coins always you know claim to be you know these amazing things but they're super weak and any attack will just you know pretty much destroy the network and um, no one wants to store their wealth on something that's easy to die so, what is this analogy with, in this scenario with Bitcoin's gun? The gun is the layered solutions being built on top of Bitcoin, such as the Lightning Network. What this results in is a decentralized and unbreakable foundation on top of which scaling solutions can be built, making Bitcoin the most unstoppable monetary force the world has ever seen. Scaling solutions such as the Lightning Network would be the tool that allows Bitcoin to surpass this level of medium of exchange. One could argue that the transactions on the Lightning Network are final settlement, though others would argue that technically it's not until you've confirmed it on the main chain. I know sometimes like Jack Mallers, for example, he talks about Lightning Network and he talks about it being in final settlement. And I think that's because when he's like talking about Lightning Network, he doesn't plan on sending those sats back to the main chain. Who knows, though? Uh, I guess it's up to the individual, but technically it's not a final settlement until it hits the main chain. People can argue that all they want. But um, yeah, so now we, we have the network needs. Bitcoin's a store of value with trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in it. Then we have the ability with Lightning Network and other scaling solutions to use Bitcoin as a means of exchange. Now, this is where it gets exciting, even more than that, I should say. So once this becomes, once all the stuff happens that I was just talking about, we're in the end game now. This is when everything in the world has been repriced in Bitcoin in replacement of the US dollar, the current global reserve currency. This is a long-term process completed via hype uh, price discovery, which started since day one of Bitcoin. I highly doubt we'll be referring to everyday items in their BT terms, and we'll just be using sats or satoshis to price things because it's super simple, super easy. As the Bitcoin black hole continues to suck in more wealth and more merchants start to accept Bitcoin as payment for their goods and services, hyper-Bitcoinization is just around the corner. This was uh, not too long ago, March 14th. Uh, a MLB team is accepting Bitcoin for suites for one full season. 
Uh, yeah, it's pretty dope to see companies starting to accept Bitcoin and, uh, you know, keep it for themselves. It's really bullish. And before I get to the most bullish part of this whole presentation is humans tend to converge on one monetary media to save, invest, and perform economic calculation. There only needs to be one as using multiple currencies complicate economic calculation and delays the development towards a unified monetary system. This thing about delaying the development towards a unified monetary system, that's pretty much straight out of the theory of money and credit by Ludwig von Mises. So shout out to Mises. Bitcoin achieves the unit of account status for everyone globally while simultaneously becoming the most desirable asset to own. Once it does this, it only encourages people to continue using it as their store of value and medium of exchange. Once all five levels of this pyramid create a positive feedback loop that strengthens Bitcoin in every aspect. So I got this from BitcoinTalk.org. And as you can see, long-term investments, media attention, perceived legitimacy, Merchant adoption, back to perceived legitimacy. Dev support, back to perceived legitimacy. User community adoption, back again, back to media attention. Then we go to long-term investments, to higher price, mining profitability, hashing power, security, the network. Boom, 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 boom. You connect the dots all over the place, right? It creates this really good positive feedback loop that keeps everyone in the system and just strengthens everything all together. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the Bitcoin's hierarchy of needs. Is there any questions, comments, or anything from the audience? I got a comment. First and foremost, I'm, I'm not too good at math, but uh, I think what you said is Bitcoin is designed to pump forever. It's going up forever, Optimist. <laughs> forever. Awesome. Uh, great job, Nick. Um, if anyone's got some questions, by all means, unmute yourself. Let's see. Um, I think, I think we're, I think everyone's, uh, everyone's okay with what you said, Nick. Perfect. All right. Well, well uh, Nick, where can they thanks. find you? <laughs> On Twitter, <laughs> at Nick Camine. Y'all know it. Uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for coming out. This was a good show. And uh, looking forward to Teacher's Lounge right after this. Awesome, dude. Well, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thanks for listening, guys.